When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Kane's Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Kane's Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. It is the Kane's Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold, and I am excited to be joined by Michael Smith, web editor, Hurricanes.com, co-host, Kane's cast, also a Panthers fan, that might come up. And Mike Maniscalco, and I'm reading from his Twitter bio, quote, regional broadcaster, co-host Kane's cast, and we're going to start here, Finland's number one hockey podcast for exactly one day. Mike, which day was Kane's cast the number one podcast in Finland? Hockey podcast Uh, in Finland. I defer to Michael Smith. He handles all of the press releases for Kane's cast. So he tracks where we're trending, but it was a glorious day for the world. And uh, I I remember celebrating heavily with all of the Finns across nations, not just one. Right. It was the the day that we were number one in Finland was the best day. That's that's all. (laughs) It wasn't 2020. I can tell you that. It was 2019. So... Uh, also, this feels like old home for me. I remember the first hockey podcast I hosted was called the Canes Corner Podcast. I don't yeah. know where you got your name for that one, but I'm not sure if they're the same or whatnot. So, I think excited to be here. I think it. Uh, well, at, at least one of us is. No, I'm kidding. I'm look. This is it, this is fun for me. It's been a long time in the making, by the way. Um, but the yeah, I just think it was kind of proprietary for Capital Broadcasting. Uh, it just was always, I didn't come up with the name. This was the name that was, this is what it was. Uh, and I sort of just. bestowed upon you. Yeah, it was. Uh, otherwise, will be in touch. I mean, it's uh, exactly it. And, and you know what? <laughs> I would, uh, I would, I would probably unsuccessfully defend that lawsuit. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm excited to do this. I'm excited to talk hockey. I talk a lot of hockey with both of you guys, but before we get to that, before we get to that, Mike, Michael Smith, and I'm going to call Mike Smith, Michael, and Mike yeah. Maniscalco, Mike, because that's the way I address both of you. Um, and that's how we are differentiated. He, that's he right. does go by Michael, and I go by Mike. So it, it makes life a little bit easier. Well, th- but let me just ask this question. Uh, Michael, who calls you Mike? <laughs> um, hmm. there, there are a few people. I, I go by a few names. Michael, Mike. Smitty. Smitty.com. Right. Um, sometimes just, hey, you. Sometimes <laughs> hey, you. I answer to that. That's good. Uh, sometimes my neighbor will just, uh, my neighbor's got a kid. He'll just go, hey, man. So I answer to that sometimes, too. <laughs> Very but Yeah, nice. there, there are a few people who call me Mike. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not picky, but okay. that's a great way to differentiate us both. Uh, since uh, to, to, to be a member of the Hurricanes organization, it helps if your name is Mike or Michael. <laughs> that, that is there's a lot of that going around uh and and smitty gives you the automatic hockey nickname uh mike who calls you michael and if it's your mother does she also attach your middle name uh, it is my mom and it's only middle name when i'm in trouble mm-hmm. so uh but nobody else my wife will sign christmas cards birthday cards and uh, valentine's day cards to Michael, because uh, we're very formal, uh, but that's about it. Nobody else. I have not been called Michael by anyone uh, formally since like the third grade, outside of my mom. Okay, that's good. It's I yeah, like and, and it's, it's been I, I've been Mike forever. And there's a long story to this, Adam. I think I've told it before. Okay, in other places, my dad's name is is Martin. Okay, and when he was in the army, he made the rank up. Uh, to, to be, you know, an enlisted man. He made E5, I believe, and that's like a sergeant. And as you know, Maniscalco is not exactly the easiest name to say for a lot of folks from different parts of the country. 
And the legend goes, that name's too hard. We're just going to call you Mike. So my dad went by Mike when he was in the army. So I am technically named after my dad. Uh, they wanted me to be named on the birth certificate, Mike. However, being of the Catholic descent, I am, you've got to go full on name. And that's how Mike will happen. Very well, nice. I'm also of Catholic descent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> do, do you have any such story? Well, people can say Smith, so uh, really not an issue. I don't get how they couldn't say Maniscalco, uh, so they called him Mike, uh, but maybe I was missing for, for part of that story. I, I, asked him, I asked him where it came from. He goes, I don't know. They just started doing it. So I'm uh, like, okay. That is fantastic. Uh, all right, since we had no hockey, uh, from October when we were supposed to start till December. I shouldn't say we had no hockey. The Tampa Bay Lightning, Central Division uh, friends of the Hurricanes. Um, but we had no Hurricanes hockey from October through December. Um, Mike, uh, what did you do? Uh, um, that's a great question. Uh, renovated my house. That's did pretty you? much what I did. Your, yourself be, or uh, did you have others come in no, and renovate God. for you? No, I, I, I need to walk on my floors. And if I had to put in new flooring, I wouldn't trust it. So no, we had, we had people come in and uh, take care of the house, but you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, my wife uh, was working uh, at the time, so she couldn't really go too many places, but when you're stuck in your house, you start to notice things that need to be replaced or fixed. And uh, one of the things is the carpet, it's uh, original carpet in the house. And it's gone. And it needed to be gone the day we originally moved in 13 years ago. Uh, so wow. it was a long time coming. So that's, that was pretty much it. Um, those are the, the big things that, that we had done. But, you know, the, the funny thing is, you know, people were asking me, you know, were you practicing games? Were you doing things like this? I, I watched a lot of the, the qualifying round in, in the, the first round series against the Bruins. Uh, I watched those a couple of times. But, you know, really it was just spent you know, puttering around the house, fixing up things that needed to be fixed. Uh, puttering is always good. Uh, for uh, for my birthday in August, I, I was given a drill uh, by my in-laws. So I'm uh, whatever I can find to drill or to put screws in, uh, I'm doing that. Michael, what have you been doing for three months without Hurricanes hockey that we were supposed to have Hurricanes hockey? I've just been contemplating things. I like that. Meaning to play. <laughs> uh, I like no, that. I've been... Uh, I've been keeping busy, uh, you know, with the weekly podcast with Kane's cast, which is ever popular in Finland yes. <laughs> uh, and nowhere else really. Do you know what the um, rank is right now in Finland? I mean, is it like top eight? That's a great question. We I could look, I could find out for you probably. I mean, we can also skew our, our podcast. Like when we have Sebastian Ajo on as a guest or Tavo Teravine and we, we rock it up the charts over there. I'm sure so, you do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what drives it. Um, uh, we're currently 29th in Finland. That's not bad. Oh, not bad. Could be better, but considering we don't speak the language, I'll take it. So, oh man, they, they, there's probably a fair amount of English speakers uh, over in Finland. I would, I would think so. I mean, I don't know unless they run this podcast through a translation filter. I don't know how else they understand. Yeah. It, except the end when, boy, boy, yeah, yeah. speak Finnish to them. But other than Speaking that, it's straight English. All right. Let's uh, let's get into a, a couple of uh, more technical things that you guys do. Uh, so I'm going to start with uh, Mr. Maniscalco. Mike, uh, explain how difficult it was to call uh, the qualifying round and the first round against Boston from however many, what, a thousand miles away on a monitor, only being able to see what television says you can see it was and you know oftentimes adam as you know folks in our profession like to make things to be such a bigger deal right or inconvenience than what they are and i don't want to do that and i i also don't want to downplay it it's the best way i could explain is you're at the mercy of, of what the director is is showing you so um you have to get into a, a certain rhythm and, and I'm used to calling games. You know, you call games, you call basketball games where your eye can go to a bench or, or find mm -hmm. something that's trailing on the play that you know is going to lead in. You learn how to watch it that way. And it, it just, 
gets to a point where you're like, I just have to tell everybody what is on the screen. You know, that's what we're seeing. So uh, after the exhibition game against Washington, when I went, this is, this is going to be a chore because, you know, things would happen and hopefully you heard the whistle uh, and, and play stopped. But, you know, if, if not, you're like, you, you can't keep going if the puck's out of play. Uh, but you, you learned and I learned quickly, you know, less is more. And as it, it went on, it got easier. But uh, those first few games, and, and I have watched them, you know, cringeworthy times with some of the things that, that happened because I was trying to figure it out. Okay, what's the, the best way for me to do this? And, and I had a couple of different angles that I could have used that weren't shown, you know, to the, the viewers at home. That was one of the luxuries that we had. But, you know, some of the angles were either so far away from, from the ice that, you know, you wouldn't have known who had the puck. It wouldn't have been what you were seeing. It would have been almost impossible for me to match up what was going on. So we all just kind of decided, I'm just going to go with what the, the directors are showing everybody and just call it off of that. And, and, you know, luckily, you know, when you're in a playoff series, you don't have to worry about a new team and new names and new numbers and new uniforms. By the way, uh, I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with this. The Rangers uniforms are classics, yeah. and I love them. Yep. But trying to call the Ranger numbers on TV, mm-hmm. I want to burn those uniforms right now because like, they all look the same. Every number looks the same. And the big difference between you know live and watching something on TV, as I tell everybody, live, it's three-dimensional characters. I can tell the difference in size of players. Like That's a lot of times people go, how do play-by-play folks know? How do you know who has the puck or who does this? And sometimes you can just tell by the size of a player. Well, when it's on a screen, everybody's flat. So right. you know, you, you're, trying, you're, you're trying to guess and you kind of learn your best. But um, uh, a long way to answer this, it, it was difficult to get my footing at first. But then once you know, I found that rhythm and knew this is the angle, this is what I need to look for, this is where on the screen I need to look for things, it, it, it became easier. So um, it, it, it wasn't wasn't brain surgery, but at the, the same time for me, uh, that it took a, a second or two to, to get everything in and, and to get calmed down and just call the game through right. because you know, what was, was at stake. But, uh, once, once I got past really that first Ranger game and got into a rhythm of just calling what was on the monitor and, and the folks who were watching were really, the fans were great because they knew what the circumstances were. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, it made life a little bit easier from there, but, uh, that I will tell you that Washington game and about you know the the first seventy seconds of the Ranger game everything <laughs> happened right. Um, I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's here we go, and uh, you just figure it out from there. So did Slavin's goal settle you down too? <laughs> yeah, it did actually. No, believe it or not, it really did because you get your well in, in sixty five seconds, Adam. Right. <laughs> I had the the hit of the playoff oh in Brady Shea on yeah. Jesper Foss. Uh, and, and again, it moved so fast and the cameras are following the puck. So I saw Shea level somebody, but I didn't catch who it was for the Rangers. And then you're going the other way. Slavin scores. Justin Williams gets into a fight for God's sake. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm like, what else can we have? What else? Can, are we going to get a penalty shot now? But great. Uh, the, the, the Slavin goal when that happened and, you know, trip, trip Tracy uh, to have him as the analyst and in, in the you know, fact I've known him for a long time helped, but he was so great. Uh, helping me with the calls and get adjusted to it. I, I don't think I could have adjusted as quickly as I did if it wasn't for trip and, and the great crew that we work with. But yeah, that it's funny, you know, a goal gets you excited, but that goal actually calmed me down. I'm like, well, I got a goal. So that's it. We can, we can move on from here. <laughs> All right, I, I want to ask you a quick follow-up before I move to Michael, uh, because I do, I do think this is important because it is difficult. I, we all know the challenges from a, uh, somebody doing play by play, who's not being able to actually see the game in person. So is there a call that you want back that, man, I would put this on my resume tape, uh, but it just, uh, because of, I couldn't see that. So was there a call you wanted back? There's, there's a call from the exhibition game. I'll give you, I'll give you three answers and I can make them real quick. There's a call from the exhibition game, Tavo Teravine and scores, but the Canes were, you know, the game was basically over. Uh, the, the caps were having their way with the Canes, Teravine and scores, and there was no reaction. So, he shoots, and I think Holtby got it because I'm watching it on TV, and I can't see the light because of the camera angle we have, so I can't see that. 
the players who were on the ice, Sebastian Ajo and Andrei Sveshnikov, like just turn around like Holtby got it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Holtby makes the save, and then the ref comes in and points. So I'm like, he scores. Right. So, you know, you got to – I want that one back. I remember um, that. Because <laughs> you, you get to that point. The beginning part, I, I was fortunate how the call worked out. But the beginning part of the Sebastian Ajo goal where he undresses yes. Tony D'Angelo, Brady Shea gets put in the Ranger bench behind the play. And our camera's on that, and I noticed that. And Ajo's at the far right of the screen. And all of a sudden, by the time I get my focus there, Ajo's already behind D'Angelo. So I would have liked, you know, maybe five more seconds or open ice on that because I think I could have given the, the lead-up part to what Ajo did to D'Angelo a little bit better service to it. But when he scored, you know, all that came to my mind is, you know, he's, he's a magician. And uh, I go, what sorcery is that? And that turned out to be okay. And then there's a, a goal in, in the Bruins series where I saw it coming and it was Patrice Bergeron at the end of the period where he banks it in off of Peter Mrazek. And I saw it coming and I was almost going to foreshadow, but I'm like, nah, I don't think he's going to do it. And when he scored, it kind of like, it, it caught everybody by surprise. And this is hindsight. I know it's 2020, but I, I saw it coming and mm-hmm. I, I think I could have done a better job on, on calling that goal. I'm a little surprised you didn't want dear Gussie back, uh, but I'll just leave that. Uh, well, that's not for a goal. That's not for a goal. That is that is for a save. And uh, you know it's a it's got to be a glove save, and it's got to stop the play. So, okay. Uh, you you have your reasons for dear Gussie, and I'm just going to let you uh, let you have them. Oh, oh no! It's uh, it's uh, our, our good friend Pace Pace Sagster. They when I did the game in Philadelphia on radio. Um, Pace goes, do you have any calls? And I go, I don't have any signature calls. And why, why would I? And, um, you know, I don't have, as I've joked with some people, I can't say 90% of the things my dad would say to me during the course of a game and use that okay. on the air, uh, or at least, you know, not get fined. Um, and so I'm like, you got one Pace? And he goes, yeah, my grandmother used to say, dear Gussie. So work dear oh, Gussie geez. into the broadcast. My and, gosh. And that's how it. And that's how it. Uh, that's how it happened. He he has a, a knack for for having us sneak little phrases into the broadcast because I was on the pregame show with you, Scalco, in in Washington, and Pace told me to work in Caddy Wampus, and I did, and it worked. Yeah. Sort of. I made it through it without laughing. That's what I was worried about was just cracking up <laughs> while trying to say Caddy Wampus on television, but. Uh, yeah, he likes to speak those uh, those little phrases. Yeah. And he, he said, if you could do that, my gra- you know, it's my grandma I used to say it, I'd get a kick out of it. And you know, I worked it in. There was a, that if you remember that Flyers game before the, the pause mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, it didn't go the Canes way. And it was like the one highlight. It was a, a save by Morazic. And Pace was listening because he was back in, in Raleigh. And he sent me a text and he just went, I thank you. My grandma thanks you. Legend. And I went, okay, that's fine. So I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, Michael, how do you use caddy wampus in a sentence? Uh, I think I was talking about, um, uh, maybe the, the goaltending and, yeah. and making sure it wasn't, you know, keeping it sort of straightforward and making sure it wasn't caddy wampus. Yeah. Okay. So caddy wampus is like helter skelter sideways. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. I, I didn't know the definition of it. All right. Now, this is for you, uh, Michael Smith. Um, what was it like in the bubble? I mean, uh, we've all read about, you know, what the players had to go through. And I know it's been in, in some ways glorified. And I don't know if you read Taylor Rook's piece in, I think it was GQ, uh, about her life in the NBA bubble in Orlando as a reporter. Uh, but I'm curious, what was it like? I mean, you guys weren't there that long, but still three weeks a long time to be uh, really under lock and key for the most part. So what was that like? Yeah, it was, uh, what, 26 days, I think, uh, from the time we, we were wheels down to the time we were wheels up. Um, it was uh, one of the best ways I think I can describe it. It was like a, a road trip that just never ended. Um, but in saying that, it was still a lot different from a typical road trip because you know, usually when we're on the road, um, we're, we're, we're at the hotel, but then we're exploring the city. Uh, we're going to eat at, you know, local restaurants. We're maybe walking to the rink, uh, for games or for a morning skate. This was very much more controlled. Um, you know, so there was, there was an actual physical fence up around, 
the the parts of the bubble that we were in um, in order to to keep us contained. And we we kind of just had free reign at the hotel floor. Uh, so the hurricanes were on the eighth floor, and it was kind of like. Uh, an adult summer camp in a way, because everybody's just, um, you know, everybody's hanging out in their rooms. There's the players lounge uh, that the players were able to congregate in with masks, of course. Um, And that was, that was kind of it. You were either at the hotel or you were at the rink um, or at the practice rink, I suppose. That was really the one time that we, we truly escaped the fence was to go to the practice rink. Um, But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was sort of like Groundhog's Day in a sense because it was very regimented and that, um, you know, every day was sort of, uh, you, you got your COVID test, you did your temperature screening, you did your, your health screening, um, you did something hockey related. I didn't do anything hockey related. I watched hockey, right. I guess. <laughs> well, um, that's hockey and related. Then, yeah, it's, it's hockey adjacent, I suppose. Um, and then I wrote about it or, or talked about it uh, on the podcast and, um, but then, you know, it was, uh, you, you would order meals. There were a couple of restaurants that we were able to go to, whether they were in the hotel or attached to the rink. Um, that was the one, I guess, normal feeling part about it all. And it kind of set it apart from, you know, the time that we had spent in Raleigh or the, the three or four months prior, um, uh, because, you know, we weren't going out to eat with anybody during that time. We weren't going out to a restaurant sitting down, taking masks off and enjoying a meal, you know, we were stuck at home ordering in or, or cooking or, or whatever. That's it, it kind of felt normal being in the bubble, being able to just go to a restaurant and, and have a meal, even though, you know, we only had a, a couple of restaurants to choose from. So it was a, uh, it was a, a totally unique experience. Um, I, I had a lot of fun uh, experiencing it and being inside the bubble with the team Um I, I hope that we don't have to do anything like that again, though. I su- suppose road trips this year are, are kind of going to yeah. be like that. Um, but it was, uh, it was a totally unique experience. And, and for the NHL to have pulled it off, you know, with, with, with zero positive tests and everything uh, is a testament to that. Yeah, if, if you're going to make sports work during a pandemic, that's, that's really one of the best ways to do it is, is in a bubble. That's really the only foolproof way uh, to really pull off um, you know, a totally safe sporting event while uh, a highly communicable virus is, uh, is wreaking havoc around the globe. So, um, it was an interesting experience. I wish it could have lasted longer, but, um, but I think, uh, we all learned a lot from it. I had a lot of fun and, uh, it was, uh, I, I, I spent my month away, for, away at camp. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I'll go away saying. From uh, th- there, there was that one time. Uh, in uh, at band camp in bubble hockey. Yeah, uh, exactly. There's that one time at hockey camp. One time at hockey camp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real, uh, real quick. I mean, I, I think you guys did a great job uh, dealing with all you had to deal with. One in Toronto and one in Raleigh, and uh, you guys should be commended because I know it wasn't easy, uh, but it is a labor of love, and that's good. With your permission, shall we talk about the hockey team? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, might as well. Uh, yeah, we're, we've come this far. That's right. I mean, we've made it through Finland. We've made it through Finland. My three regrets of uh, calling games. I mean, Smitty talking about the same seven restaurants in Toronto. Why not? He Let's said it was just two or three. He didn't say seven. Yeah, it, was, it was very limited. <laughs> oh, true. And my, uh, Michael, you didn't go uh, play Frisbee with uh, with Rod, did you? Uh, no, fr- well, I played Frisbee, not with Rod and certainly not shirtless because, <laughs> because one fat tarp came off, that was I, a photo. You know, nobody else was, yeah. yeah, no, everybody put the tarp back up. Yeah. It's like, Oh, okay. That was a that, that's photo. How be. So everybody put shirts back on. I, uh, no, the one, the one physical activity that I really enjoyed inside the bubble was squash, big squash band. Squash? And it's very different from racquetball. No. Yeah. Yes, no, no. It's, the- it's funny. It's funny you say that because Adam, under normal times, when we go on the road, we seek out places that have squash courts so we could go play. Are you serious? Very few of them. Yeah, very serious. All right. Well, when Edmonton, uh, Edmonton, Edmonton, and Long Island are like the two places where we can go play. Well, when we get to the Summer Olympics, when we get to the Summer Olympics, uh, we are going to do uh, on my uh, on my day job from noon to three. We're going to do a breakdown of the off-the-beaten-path sports. We will include squash. Squash is in the Olympics, right? 
Yeah, and team handball. You need to include oh, Olympic team handball. It's, it's, Unbelievable uh, sport. Played it up in New York State. Yeah, people so, love it. So, uh, Michael, when you played squash, did you wear the uh, the V-neck, the cream-colored V-neck sweater with the red and green stripe around the V? I cannot say that I did. We didn't even wear a uh, protective eyewear, which was probably uh, so. Did you really play squash? <laughs> well, everybody still has their eyesight, so that's good. All right. uh, but it was uh, that was the other normal feeling part of being in the bubble was being able to just go to a gym and and work out um, and feel safe about it. I, I know gyms are open now, and I'm sure they're safe and taking all the precautions. But I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. All right, let's talk about the team. Here we go. Uh, let's, uh, let's start with the central division. Uh, we have some old friends or at least one old friend, the Columbus blue jackets. Uh, but everybody else is either central or Atlantic. Uh, I'll start with you regional broadcaster, uh, your thoughts on being in the central. Uh, and, and some older friends too. remember Florida and yeah. Tampa used to be residents in the old sure. Southeast division, but, uh, that was a, a long time ago. I, I like this, uh, and I like how this division is broke down for the, the Hurricanes. Uh, you look at it, Tampa's the defending Stanley Cup champions, but no Nikita Kucherov. But they're still, I think they're going to be the favorite if yeah. you're going to be honest and all cards on the table. And then, oh, by the way, the other team that's uh, in the Central that Tampa's moved in with, you've got the defending Stanley Cup champs and then the team that was the runner-up, okay. Dallas. Well, Dallas is dealing with some injury problems. Ben Bishop uh, is going to be on the shelf for a little bit. Tyler Sagan's going to be on the, the shelf for a little bit, but you know they're a good team. They're yeah. big, they're physical, they're skilled, uh, and on the back end, I don't think that their their decor gets a lot of credit the way that other teams get talked about. But I'm with you. Uh, I look I look at those two teams, Adam, and I'm like, okay, you could say that's that's one and two, but I, I think that the Canes might actually uh, slide in between Tampa and, and Dallas, all things being even, and then after that. Uh, Michael and I disagree a little bit on, on who we like for four versus five Columbus. I think in a season like this, when you know what your team does and John Tortorella gets this team to play such a, a pitch perfect scheme and system, they're going to do that every single night. They're not going to come off of it. It's not going to be like one night they score six goals and then they go two games only scoring two. They're going to be comfortable, especially in, in series uh, Tampa found that out two years ago. They're comfortable playing there. Uh, Columbus is the team I have for. Nashville, if if everything is aligned for them, if they can get some good offense uh, from players like Ryan Johansson, who they've been counting on, who he really hasn't turned into the, the guy they expected when they traded for him and traded Seth Jones for him. But he can be very good. But they're so good on the, the blue line that that can carry them for the course of a night. And now you're getting into Florida which is a wild card. Yep. You know, you, you look at that roster, Adam, I know you have, and Michael has, and then you look at the results and you're like, oh, it doesn't add up, but will year two of, of Joel Quenville coaching them and Sergey Bobrovsky, maybe, you know, calming down a little bit more in the nets. Will that, will that change their fortune? Because they're the wild card in the division to me. I really like Chicago until the Taves news broke the other day that he's going to be out for some time because I don't think you can count out a team that knows how to win with those guys. Yeah, there's a lot of mistakes, and their goaltending is a huge question mark. And then you know, Detroit's still in a rebuild, and uh, they're, they're the team you look at. The Canes, you know, against Chicago and Detroit, if you're going to be a playoff team this year, you got to go 6-2. and two. Like, that's the worst you can do against those two teams. That's the, the closest you can get to a free lunch. But I, I think how the division stacks up, Adam, is you know, Tampa, for all intents and purposes, with what they have, even without Kucherov, do they get Stamkos back, and, and at what level do they get him? You know, they're just so good, so deep, and they play such a, a difficult style of hockey to defend. You've got to keep the puck away from them. Well, that's what the Kings do really well. So uh, this is a the way that the division shook out. The Kings should be a playoff team just based on, on how the Central is going to be stacked up. Well, I, I agree, and we'll get into some uh, – we'll, we'll dig a little deeper on that. Uh, Michael, where did uh, where do you and Mike argue? Where, I, I'd like to hear the argument. Well, I think I just like Nashville a little more for that four spot than Columbus. Now, in saying that, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Columbus is that four team. And I would give the Florida Panthers an outside shot at being that, that fourth team. 
but I think a lot would have to go wrong with Columbus and Nashville for that to happen, uh, or even potentially Dallas, you know, if, if, if maybe the wheels come off in, in net or something. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I just like, uh, I, I think I like Nashville a little more. Uh, but I do think, I, I do think, uh, you know, Tampa is, is probably, uh, far and away the, the top team, um, in, in the league, really, when you look at it. But, uh, but in saying that, I do think uh, in this division, the Hurricanes could conceivably compete as long as they can stay out of the box. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of give the Hurricanes a chance to, uh, to maybe finish in first. But, but aside from that, I, don't, I honestly don't see them finishing, you know, lower than second or, or maybe even third, uh, which, you know, is a stark contrast to if you would stack them up in the, in the East division. Um, you know, they would be fighting and clawing for uh, a third or fourth playoffs. But I still think they are a playoff team in that division, but it's it, it's a lot tougher. All right, okay, I just want to divert. I, I want to talk about the East for one second because I still, in the back of my mind, I expect the National Hockey League to announce sometime around, oh, uh, middle of February, early March, we've decided to go uh, five teams in each division uh, with four versus five playing in. Uh, because if you think about what's what the deal is with the East, let's just say Boston, Philly, Washington are the three best. And I can, I can make the argument that Washington won't be one of the three best. Uh, but let's just say that they are, that those are the three best. That means you're telling me that uh, an Eastern Conference finalist, the Islanders, the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, a Rangers team that is clearly improving, and a Buffalo Sabres team that retooled, um, that are you telling me that three of those teams aren't making the playoffs? That is, yeah. a, that is a bit of a stunner for me. You know, the, the funny thing, Adam, like you said, you can make the the argument why Washington could fall out. I actually like Washington a lot more because of the Peter Laviolette uh, whole experience because he's going to get there and we've seen it. You've seen it. He will get everything that's left in that team (laughs) to to get on the ice for this year. But what you just said, Philadelphia, you know, could they fall out? You know, they're one of the up and coming teams in Carter Hart. Yeah. I mean, there's so much could, could age finally catch up with the Boston Bruins and an injury. Do they, do they slip? Uh, I don't think that the Sabres are good enough to get in, but what the Sabres are going to do is they're going to be good enough to keep one of those teams out. Yeah. Like one of those teams is going to struggle against Buffalo. And, you know, like you said, I, I was shocked when the return to play came out and we didn't have extended playoffs part two, I, yeah. I, and, and especially when that division happened. So. Totally blown away. I still expect the National Hockey League uh, will do that. All right, let's get to, because I don't disagree. I think uh, all things being equal, and I wanted, again, I want to kind of, you know, peel back the onion a little bit on this, Uh, but all things being equal, yeah, I think Tampa's a clear one. Uh, I still think Dallas is two, but there are question marks with health. Um, But Columbus, Florida, Nashville, and even with Taves' injury, I'm going to throw Chicago into that mix uh, because the way they played toward the end, you know, right before the pause, and then the way they played once they got to the bubble, and maybe that was more about Edmonton than it was about Chicago. Uh, but I'll, I'll just throw them in that mix. Uh, I guess I, I did. I forget Nashville. I didn't mean to forget Nashville. But there's a bunch well, of teams. Them in there. There's a bunch of teams in that you know four to seven range. Uh, that could all be interesting. I just think playing Columbus, and I have Columbus fourth too, I just think playing Columbus is uh, a 60-minute root canal eight times a year. Yeah. I don't want that. And they have to play them four times in a row in March, uh, which will be interesting. And it (laughs) is. is. I feel like all of those games against Columbus are just such a grind. And a lot of them, you hear players and and Rod Brindamore come out saying, you know, we couldn't have played any better than that, and the result just didn't go their way. That's that's just the type of, of style that John Tortorella has his team playing. He gets the most out of uh, the players that he has and the system that he puts in place, and I think Rod Brennamore does the same. And then when you put those two together and uh, up against one another, it just it turns into this this grinding kind of 
it's not really a slog of a game because I think it's entertaining yeah. at least. Uh, but it, it sometimes just the result doesn't match up with, with what you're seeing on the ice. Yeah. Ice is hard to come by in, in those oh, matchups. And crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on, on trying, I've been trying to sell Chicago uh, the way that you have, but the one thing I keep coming back to, and I'm with you, Adam, about that was no fluke what they did to the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs. It was, so. but they also had Corey Crawford. Now they're going in with Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia. And, you know, they, they did have Robin Leonard last year for a, a portion of the regular season to, to keep them afloat and, and do those things. So the goaltending for Chicago is a huge question mark. And, and that's why I think, you know, the longer this goes on and the injuries they sustain, they're, they're the team that I don't think can be a, be what we want them to be or, or what we know with some of the guys like Patrick Kane and, and Alex DeBrincat. You know, they lose Taves, they lose Kirby Doc in world championships to yeah. that, that wrist injury. You know, that is going to set them back a little bit. The thing that Michael and I go back and forth on with Nashville, I don't know what I get night to night out of Nashville, and he kind of made my case for Columbus. You know what you get right. every night out of Columbus. And, you know, Dallas on paper and all things being equal, we should say that Dallas, you know, should be the number two team in the division. But again, a couple of injuries here and there. You know, what are they going to get out of Jake Ottinger if, if he's the backup to Anton Hudobin? Right. What are they going to get out of Anton Hudobin for an extended, for an extended period, period of time? Of time. Right. We, we've seen him. We've seen him here, Adam. You yeah. know, and, and Michael, you know, this. we know he is capable of getting hot and, and carrying a team, but they do it for, you know, you've got 56 games. Can he do it 20 out of 25 games in, in a season like this? So it's a lot of interesting questions that need to be answered for, for this division. And the Canes, have kind of gotten to this point of we know what they're going to do every night. We know how they're going to play. So that's why, you know, yes, we work for the team, but I think that's also a big reason why we've been around it. We know what they do. We've seen the years where you don't know what you're going to get night after night. We now know what this team does every single night. All right, Michael, I'm going to steer the conversation this way because I I had just written, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) Ah, horse farm, uh, horse farm creeping up. Um, I had just written a uh, kind of a, a dissertation, I'll just leave it at that, uh, on the forward position. And the more I look at the forwards, I mean, look, you, you pretty much know what you're going to get out of Svechnikov and Aho and Teravainen. You know what you're going to get out of those guys. You know what you're going to get or not, uh, you know, in terms of offense out of a Jordan Stahl or a Martinook and things like that. I think there are two vitally important players to Carolina that if they both play well uh, to their the best of their abilities then I think Carolina does push Tampa at the top. But if they don't play to the best of their abilities, if they have just an okay year, then I think Carolina kind of falls into that big glob behind Dallas with Columbus, with Florida, with Chicago, with Nashville. And it's Trocek and Fogle. Uh, Because Trocek, to me, is the key to a second line that scores. And Fogle, if he plays like he did as a rookie then that style of play will make everybody who plays with him better. And he can even play up on a more regular basis rather than just sporadically. Uh, so I, will, I said that. Uh, Michael Smith, react. Yeah, I could see both of those. Um, and Vincent Trocek is one that uh, I think is kind of a vital key as the team's second-line center because one of the big question marks for me uh, and I know Scalco has, has gotten asked this over the summer. I have as well. Um, you know, people ask about the goaltending and our response is, well, I mean, the goaltending is, is pretty good. It's, it's gotten the hurricanes to the playoffs two years in a row now with Peter Morazic. Of course, there have been uh, a couple of different pieces behind him and Curtis McElhaney and James Reimer. But the bigger question for me is the scoring beyond the top line of Andre Sechkov, Sebastian Ajo, and Tavo Teravainen. And Vincent Trocek, I think, is a big part of that as the second-line center. Um, and I think, you know, what you saw from him in the regular season, uh, that last road trip right before the pause, you know, he scores that overtime goal on Long Island. He, I think he was kind of finding his groove. Um, and there wasn't much to pull from uh, the playoffs just because it was so strange and weird and it, it all happened so quickly. Um, but I think, I think he's really going to find a group this year. And if he can, 
like you said, I think the Hurricanes have a lot of success. The two names that I might pinpoint uh, as potentially, you know, more important to this team, uh, at least in terms of their offensive contributions, would be Ryan Dezingle and Nino Niederreiter. Um, those are two players who the Hurricanes need on the score sheet on a regular basis. You're probably going to have one of them on a line with Vincent Trocek and Martin Nachos, yes. whether it's Niederreiter or whether it's Dezingle. Uh, and you're going to need the other one wherever the other one plays, assuming the other one gets into the lineup. You're going to need the other one contributing too. Those two players were brought in to be offensive performers. And last year, you know, the numbers weren't really there for either player. And I know you look at Ryan Dezingle's shooting percentage last year, it was abnormally low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, figuring that, uh, you know, regresses to the mean a bit more, he's probably going to score more goals. That's going to be a good thing for the Hurricanes. They're going to need him to contribute. Uh, at even strength on the power play. And it's the same thing with Nino Niederreiter. Those two, I think, are two vital pieces to the Hurricanes' depth scoring, which to me is maybe the biggest question mark for this team heading into the season. Yeah, I, I lean, Adam, just to you know follow up my my co-host here on, on Kane's Gas, I lean towards that as well, that I think you've got to get Nino Niederreiter or Ryan Dezingle to play towards what their average is when it comes to the goal-scoring department. Uh, the other guy who I, I add into that mix, and, and Michael said his name, is Martin Natchez. Does he continue to develop as an offensive player? Does, because if he develops, he and Vincent Trocek can be an outstanding line, back to your point of how important Trocek is. I think that Natchez and Trocek can feed off of each other, and then a guy like Niederreiter or Dezingle, or if Fogel plays up, they're going to be the beneficiary of the skill level that those two guys have. Uh, Warren Fogle, I like, but I also like him in the role that he is. And I think he's found his role. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good point of can he get that offensive magic that he had that, that rookie year. But I think that he's found his niche. And if, if that, that line where I think that Jesper Foss is probably going to take the, the Justin Williams spot just on the line with Jordan Stahl and Warren Fogle, if they go out there and do what they do, which is play big minutes, heavy minutes against the other team's top line, chipping a goal here and there, they're fine. But Trocek and, and Nachos, to me, I think are the key because they might be able to unlock Niederreiter, Zingle, Ogle offensively, and now you've got that one-two punch at the top uh, six of your lineup here if you're Rod Brindamore. Well, that's actually uh, one of the reasons I thought that Trocek is so important is that uh, – I mean, I I think uh, I think Natchez is going to be fine. I think his offensive production will go up automatically, playing with uh, really a very good, solid playmaking center like Trocheck. Even if he's just okay, Vincent Trocheck, Natchez's numbers will be fine. But if Trocheck is back to when he was averaging fifty-five points a game with the Florida Panthers, and he had a 75-point season a few years ago before some injuries crept in, um, then whoever's on the left side of that line has a chance to just have a great year because Trocek yeah. is one of those... I mean, everything you heard about, uh, you know, what's it like to play against Vincent Trocek? It's like, not fun. Uh, <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's exactly what you want him to be. You want him to be a pest, and you want him to create offense for others, that certainly would be great for Niederreiter. I just want to clarify one thing about Fogel, and I wrote this uh, the other day at WRL Sports Fan, is that to me it isn't the goals. The goals will come with Warren Fogel. I didn't think he was very good last year, and the goals still came because he's got a little bit of a knack for scoring goals. He had 26 points uh, in the playoffs in juniors. He was 13 goals and 13 assists, and he was arguably the best player, I believe, on the Erie Otters uh, for a team that had a bunch of really high draft picks. Uh, and he was good in uh, sort of 28 goals in Charlotte, his first full season in the American League. Uh, but if he doesn't play that heavy, uh, you know, intense forechecking game, none of it matters. Uh, he's the only guy really equipped to do that. You know, 6'2", 6'3", 210 pounds, let him throw his body around. Let him be a little reckless at times. Um, you know, as, as long as he's not a dope about it, which, frankly, he has been. Um, and I said that. You guys didn't. Um, then he can have an impact on the game. I always think the points will come if he plays that way. Yeah, I think so. And um, and, and when when you look at 
putting that line together if he does, in fact, play on a line with Jordan Stahl and, and Jesper Foss, uh, which I do think makes sense because, as you mentioned, he can be that, uh, that kind of a pest forechecking type player. Um, you're going to have Jesper Foss, who uh, he forechecks hard as well. Yeah. He backchecks hard. Jordan Stahl, one of the best defensive forwards in the National Hockey League. Uh, that line can be, I think, uh, uh, a pretty solid shutdown line. And uh, when the opportunity is there, you would hope that uh, that trio can convert some into uh, some positive point production as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised, too, if, if maybe they try Fogel on the fourth line. as just uh, maybe a, a straight energy type of player, whether it's with Brock McGinn and Jordan Martinook or Brock McGinn and Morgan Geeky or Morgan Geeky and Jordan Martin, you know, yeah. whatever threesome you want to put together there and maybe try a Nino Niederreiter or someone on that left side uh, with Jordan Stahl and, and Jesper Foss to try to uh, maybe mold that line, give that line more of an offensive uh, flair to it. Um, I think there's some options there. Uh, and I think Fogel um, as a piece in the team's bottom six is, is an important piece because you are going to count on them uh, five on five uh, to play some, some tough minutes. You are going to count on them uh, shorthanded to, to, to kill penalties. Um, and, and he is going to be, I think an important piece, uh, in the team's bottom six. All right, let, let's, let's wrap up. And I don't want to keep you guys too much longer. Let's wrap up with a little bit about, uh, Jesper Faust, uh, who was brought in the only free agent really brought in, uh, that will definitely make the roster. There are some minor league free agents that, you know, who knows because of the taxi squads and, uh, the way, uh, COVID is probably going to creep in here and there. Uh, we'll probably see some minor leaguers, uh, with the hurricanes. Um, but Faust all last year, he didn't have a lot of, didn't, not a big point score over his career. Uh, but all last year he played with Artemi Panarin and, uh, Ryan Strom. So he, he's used to playing, uh, up in the lineup that you, I mean, that's the top line. So that's, to me, an opportunity if Rod chooses. I wouldn't be that surprised. I know it's, he's generally been on the right side, but I wouldn't be that surprised if Faust ended up on the left with a big physical presence, uh, somebody who knows how to play, can uh, maybe create some space with speed and physicality, playing with Trocek uh, and Natchez at times. Um, I think he's a better player than just a checking guy. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, you know, Adam, one of the things, and it, it depends on, you know, what you read and what's out there. And you know, I, I've been doing a lot of that, uh, a lot of reading and you get the reports on what people like for the moves. And, you know, while the Canes did not make big splashes in free agency, uh, part of that is, and, you know, I'll go back to it. You know, they made their moves last year at the trade deadline adding Brady Shea, a player who still had term on his deal, adding Vincent Trocek, you know, a player who had term on his deal, looking towards this season. But everything I read about Jesper Foss as the Canes free agent signing was all positive. It's like perfect fit for this team. The way he plays, it's seamless for the Hurricanes. And then when you read, this is a Rod Brindamore kind of player, you understand, and I think that you just hit the nail on the head for what he's capable of doing. You can move him anywhere in the lineup. You know, is he going to score 40? No. Uh, but he also knows what his role is. His role is to go hunt down pucks, be a gnat, be agitating to play against, but also be responsibly uh, when it comes or responsible as a two-way forward to help out his line, to allow guys like when you mentioned Panarin and all that, they can go play offense because Jesper Foss is going to come back and make sure that there's no odd man rushes the other way. Yeah. Plus he plays the game. He's, he's speedy. You know, and, and I think with this team, you give him the opportunity. Uh, maybe you know, the numbers aren't going to be, you know, eye popping. You know, I can't sit here and say he's going to get a, a 50 point season, but you know, maybe he his career best is I think 33 points. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know you see him around 35 in, in a shortened season, around 35 points with this team because of of the opportunity that's there. And I I like him. I, I think it's a really good fit. Yeah. for this team. Well, that's uh, that's what I think is is maybe the most important part of the signing is just how he fits into uh, the way Rod Brindamore likes to play, the way he likes to see his team play, and then the culture that he's building in the locker room. And uh, and Jesper Fast, by all accounts, is um, as they awarded him in New York the Players Player Award, mm-hmm. he just he just sort of exemplifies what it means 
uh, to be a model player. And I think that can speak volumes, uh, especially when you lose a guy like Justin Williams in your locker room, who uh, I would say was the Hurricanes players player uh, for the last few years here. Uh, and now you bring in someone who can uh, who can kind of uh, lead some of the younger players. And I say that, yes, Profast is, is not um, a, a, uh, a wily veteran of the game, uh, like Justin Williams was a grizzled veteran, but um, but I think he comes in and and can fit that mold of exactly what Rod Burnhamore wants to see, not only on the ice but off the ice as well. Uh, he's going to lead by example. He's going to be, I think, a model for some of the Hurricanes' younger players, um, and he's going to be one of those players who uh, Jeff Daniels and Rod Burnhamore can sort of fit in anywhere in their lineup. Uh, they're going to use him shorthanded, I would imagine, as well. Um, oh yeah, and he's going to be counted on to to play some minutes for this team. I um, we're gonna we're gonna uh, leave it right there. There's a ton of other things we could talk about, but we've already gone uh, a sizable length here uh, on the Canes Corner podcast with my friends from Canes Cast, the number one podcast hockey podcast for one day in Finland, and all we know is that it was the best day. We don't really. We haven't pinpointed the actual day. Mike Maniscalco. It was in. It was in 2019, Adam. And it is needless to say, after that day, a lot has gone downhill and gone wrong oh for the world. Gosh, yes. should have should have kept us at number one. By the way, I, I here's what I my my hope for both of you is that you never refer to this upcoming season as the 2020-2021 season. We will not play oh. a single game. In 2020, let's just call it the 2021 season, shall we? Yes, it's the, it's the, I don't even want to say 2021 season for that confusion, Adam. Just call it the 21 season. There you go. Uh, Mike yeah, Maniscalco. I'm with you. Regional broadcaster. Uh, I am. You, you are. Look, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat down YouTube TV uh, to get Fox Sports Carolinas back on my television. Uh, other than that, I'm going to have to do a workaround so I can watch you guys. Uh, Michael Smith, Canescast, Hurricanes.com. I appreciate your time uh, and your uh, sense of humor and sense of hockey. It was nice chatting with you, Adam. Hopefully we can do it soon. Maybe at the new practice rink from a safe distance, masked up, of course. Of we'll course. put right. We'll we'll put uh, masked up and we'll put plexiglass in between us, and I'll wear a full hazmat suit. Hey, hey, I'm, I'm the way to be. I'm for this as long as we get the the first pictures that we can put out on social media. That's Perfect, all. you can have it. I, I give you uh, give you rights to those. I appreciate your time, fellas. You've been listening to the Canes Corner podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget, there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sportsfan app, and you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. And tune in. Thanks again for listening to the Kane's Corner Podcast. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.